0: Want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. In the house of the Lord, it's also good to have uh, Dan's family here with us. Somehow um I had to draw a little bit of a comparable to the Sunday school lesson by the fruit when I heard Dan mention that uh his sister Joy is here and it's a joy to have her here. It sounded like it's called. you're calling the fruit by its, you know, right name, and uh, un, unlike a fig tree that didn't have any figs, but uh, yeah, it was just a thought that crossed my mind. Good to have you all here and worshiping with us, and also good to have, I uh, forget your name, but uh, Tyler's company here this morning as well. I'm going to be speaking about, or the message is, is titled, The Righteous Tongue, and our uh the scriptural passage for this is James three. Proverbs twenty-five eleven says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Now most of us don't aren't don't have that kind of wealth that we would have apples of gold and pictures of silver on our walls. Um, but we know what a nice picture looks like. That um, is graceful and is beautiful, and uh, maybe a well done or a, a well crafted frame. Um, something that we can admire uh, the artisanship, the craftsmanship of it. Colossians 4 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to how you ought to answer every man. Now looking to uh, James 3, I'd like to read this Scripture. And one thing I'd like to say this morning at the outset is that when I'm thinking of the tongue, um, I know that uh, I have need of, of more discipline, more um more uh, godliness in this area myself. And, and so I'm speaking to myself first and foremost here. But I'd like to read this and see what we can glean from it. <clears throat> James 3. Let's stand for the reading of the Scripture. My brethren, lot, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the Word... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitterness, envy, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie not against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without high hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. Speaking of the tongue here, it's a powerful means of communication. It can bless, as the Scripture says here. It can curse. Um, It's a very little member, James points out. A very little muscle. But it's a strong muscle. In fact, one of the strongest muscles in our body. There's thousands of little taste buds. 8,000. I wouldn't say to be exact but there's at least that many they they estimate. Little taste receptors on our tongue that tell us whether our food is salty, sour, bitter, sweet. And now there's a recent Japanese model that comes with umami. And this is a flavor uh, that the Japanese uh, have picked up that has been included in our taste. That you get when you're—it's—it's uh, it's a flavor of natural salt that you taste. It's a savory flavor, uh, pleasant savory taste. And I imagine that taste to be the kind that you get when you're eating a, you know, like a fresh tomato sandwich on on homemade bread with some mayo. It's you know that savory. Anyways, the tongue is is a um, the first in line with the teeth to break down that food for digestion. It assists in swallowing. It's important for speech. Without the tongue, it's nearly impossible to enunciate many of the letters in the alphabet. So it's almost impossible to really speak. It would be very hard without the tongue. It has eight muscles. Four are intrinsic. Four are extrinsic. And I'm not that great in biology, but uh, just looking at it a bit, and from what I read it's if it is connected to structure it's very it 's only by four of those muscles um, but James is talking here about not so much the physical but what the tongue does, and that is it communicates it helps us to communicate, and that's where he honed in on that's what he wanted to uh, that's what he used in his example it would be fair for sure in to, to look at James and in his day that the tongue to say that the tongue was the main way of communicating today we may have there are people that probably some of us that are more emailers or letter writers or even texters, but in um, james's day uh, many of the people would have been unlearned. And so, communication would have been mostly verbal. Just because he is speaking to the verbal part of us doesn't mean that that lets us off the hook when we're communicating otherwise. Um, there, for example, I there was a person that I worked with for some time that could send out Hair-raising, bone-chilling, and and blood-boiling emails—the kind of emails that just, you know, you started off having a good day would make you sit back and wonder wonder what it's going to really be like. Um, But then, when you talk with them, person to person, that person person to person about the very same issue, uh, that person would come through very civil. Um, So, what I'm saying, I guess, is that. Uh, when we think about the tongue here, I think we need to be, think about the whole sense of communication and how it relates to the way we write our emails, our text, or our you know talk letters. I do believe that the tongue has the power of emphasis, and that and and when it, that power of emphasis com, is combined with body language, it's the most effective and accurate way of communication. It also has, when it's combined that way, um, has the power to sway people. Think of Hitler and, and his power to sway the masses through his, his uh, impassioned speeches. Um, and that's a negative example. But there's positive examples too. Many a person has been brought to the Lord by the power of a testimony or the message of a song. Um, there again, impassioned uh, messages from people sharing about the Lord and about their experience uh, with the Lord, their testimony. Now James here is talking to the brethren, and he's talking about the untamable tongue in the brotherhood. I'll say there are plenty of untamable tongues that we could draw examples from, but. We're not going to because he's actually talking to the brethren here. He says the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Out of it we bless God and we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. And he points out that this oughtn't be. This is not natural. Uh, He says, does a... Does a fountain send forth the same place sweet and bitter water? Does a fig tree a bear olive berries? Does the vine um, bear figs? You know, it's just not natural for the tongue to be to be bringing forth blessing and cursing. He's saying, Luke six forty three and forty four through forty five. For a good tree bringeth forth not forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And then he goes on to say, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? James again addressing the Christians. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And I'd like to relate this a little bit back to us as brethren. You know, has this happened to you? Have you woke up in the morning and I'm. You don't have to speak from my own experience and hopefully it doesn't sound too abrasive. But have you ever woke up in the morning cursing the alarm clock, blessing the coffee maker, blessing the food, cursing the person who wrote the rude email, blessing or cursing Noah weather depending on the forecast, blessing the kind person for their note of encouragement, cursing the mailman for all the bills, blessing the boss for a kind word, or cursing the boss for overlooking your valuable talent and the low compensation, blessing your brother in the church who sees these things your way, cursing the brother in your church who points out an area of needed repentance or growth in your life, cursing the dog for making you stumble on your way out to the vehicle in the twilight of the morning, twilight zone of the morning, blessing the president, cursing the candidates, or vice versa, or simply cursing or blessing them both. Blessing your wife for the breakfast, cursing her because she forgot to put the spoon in the lunchbox to eat your chili soup with. And all of this sounds pretty immature, doesn't it? And rather far-fetched, or beyond you know, what we would say disgruntled or unhappy. Adding to this, have you ever worked with someone who has always seemed to be in a bad mood? A person whose outlook was easily affected by his or her surroundings. I had a co-worker once in my lifetime who was always down and out every day. He was the epitome of an Eeyore. Uh, And I don't really recall him laughing or being jolly. Life to him was always very serious and, and kind of a sad affair and never a cheery word proceeded out of his mouth and i'm not sure why you know he had a good life as far as i could tell he had a nice wife uh, and family a reasonably good job and, and certainly a wonderful coworker well maybe not maybe that was the problem but have you ever been that person where you know life is just looks down and out or at least projects that image That person who couldn't find a blessing to give. That person for whom the sun is too bright and the cloud is too dark. And probably or most like we've all found ourselves in that place at one time or other. Hopefully we haven't lived in that place for too long. Or we won't do that. Now I believe there's something less than Christ-like with the mouth that predicts gloom and sarcasm, i'm not sure that I would could say or would say or if that would be a sin in every case, but more importantly, I believe the question is begged, you know what's generating the dark speech? it may not be cursing, but it, if if we're always casting shadows um those casting of shadows and that continual casting of shadow uh, can easily turn into something more serious. Um, Maybe even something like a curse. And that's what I want to address this morning along with the more serious, hateful sort of um, things that we could become involved with. 1 Timothy 5.13 says, he's speaking um, to those that that aren't blessing like they should. And he says, with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. And if there was ever a day when people can wander from house to house, Raising divisive issues with impunity, it's today. Social media and, and uh, the like <clears throat> are easily an easy avenue where people can unload. You know, instead of people working out things on a local church body level, uh, they can easily move away from that, move away from their problems and having to work them out and, and throw their issues across the globe for for any person to to uh speak into. And uh, I don't think that's what God had in mind. <clears throat> I don't think he had a mind for us to be busybodies even on social media. Luke six forty five says A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Again, the tongue is the body's instrument of expression. The tongue doesn't act on its own. It can't be tamed because it's the expression of the heart. James, And I think that's what James was was trying to bring out. And we see it as he moves through. James 3, verse 6 says, in the talks of the carnal man, and in the carnal man, the tongue is a fire and it's a world of iniquity. It's a deadly poison. Even when it's not spewing out evil words, it's still anti-God. And it's expressing what is evil and, and what brings damnation. And don't forget, evil man knows how to use sweet words to his advantage. The devil, I don't believe, attacked Eve using crude language and vile four-letter words. I think the devil was eloquent in his speech. And he used language that made her feel good about herself. And consequently, she let down her guard to the devil as well. She felt good towards the devil. And so, this saying, evil man doesn't always speak evil words. He uses words to his advantage, often to sway and to influence. But back to brothers. That's what this is speaking of, too, who James is speaking to. When brothers are cursing each other or their enemies, it means something is wrong. Something is amiss. When marriages are in conflict, it means something is a mess. When there's conflict between children and parents, there is something amiss. In Romania, we had uh, involvement with helping the poor with medical needs. We saw some pretty nasty situations. One I remember involved a lady with a very nasty, inflicted wound above her ankle. And I really wasn't prepared for what I saw when she unwrapped that bandage. It was just really messy. It was a dirty bandage. And as she unwrapped that and shown it to us, a foul smell escaped. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it was just the kind of thing that you just wanted to move away from. Or else, you know, quickly call 911, which we couldn't do. Um, now, brother Dan there, he would have probably moved close to it because he's a doctor, but that's not wasn't my natural inclination. But did that nasty wound on that lady, did that mean she was dead? No, it didn't. She was very much alive, but she had death on her, didn't she? Her leg was infected, her ankle was infected. But she was very much alive and hurting. But that but certainly you know that wound was death on her. And the smell of that wound was evidence that there was something other than life on her. And I believe it's the same way when we hear brothers cursing each other or saying bad things about each other, or ungodly language, or in ungodly influence coming from the mouth. It's certainly an evidence of death somewhere in the heart. The carnal expression of the tongue is the same as a smell, I believe, of of rotting flesh. It may not mean that the brother who is cursing another is dead, but it does mean that there's a place of infection that needs healing, needs attention, (laughs) needs restoration, regeneration. The tongue is untamable. Again, but it, it discloses the heart. It may be able to stay checked, but it can't be tamed. These things ought not to be. My brethren, in verse 10, these things ought not to be. Another example I thought of was the, the deeper underlying point that James makes here is that the tongue doesn't act on its own. It just articulates the heart. You know, like the, the paddle on a manure spreader. And you know those old manure spreaders. They have the chains on them and the paddles on the back. Just like the paddle on the manure spreader, the tongue simply spreads what's on the load. It just moves it out. Now, I do want to come back a little bit and say this. You know, sometimes I think we get so concerned that we don't say something wrong that maybe we don't express ourselves like we should. Maybe we don't bring things to the surface. And I think as a brotherhood, we need to be really sensitive and open to each other and to understand the other person and not take a statement out of context or take a statement and run with it and characterize another brother by that. There are times when we say things we didn't really mean as they sounded. There are times when, we th- when things are taken out of context. And maybe there are times when we meant what we said, but realized that we hadn't really understood this this situation. And we would have said things differently if we had. And I do believe the fair way to judge our own speech should be based on a conservative average. And the fair way to judge our brother's speech should be based on a more liberal average. Um, in other words, not trying to pick apart someone's every word and saying, okay, that's him, but rather take the average life into context with what they say and make our assumption that way. Base, our, base our, um, how, where we believe the other brothers at that way. And ourselves, of course, we're supposed to be more focused on ourselves in that respect. More focused on judging our own speech. But when those averages, when they tend, of our speech, tend toward arrogance, disdain, division, tattling, and busybodies, we know there's a problem. There's something inside, deeper going on. There needs to be repentance and regeneration of the heart. Verse 14 says, if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom isn't from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where there's envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. So, what should our response be to the difficult things in life? In the course of life, we're going to face hurts and hard questions. Uh, Life is going to throw many of these at us, I believe. And like was mentioned this morning, you know, the the grass doesn't really go grow that well without some rain. And it's, it depends on how we absorb these, these um, difficult things as to how, what the result will be. So what about the hurting person after a broken courtship? Or the dreams that didn't work out? a family relationship that can't be resolved or seemingly can't be resolved? A church issue that leaves us grappling for answers or dealing with another person that is bitter and needs help but doesn't seem to want or accept help. Well, all our responses, again, should start or need to start on the heart level. James 3.17 says, the wisdom that is from above in contrast to the wisdom that is from below is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. My mind went to wisdom first and foremost. So what is wisdom? Proverbs eight talks about it this way. I'll read these verses ten through ten through thirteen. Receive my instruction, not silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, to wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom, I am understanding, I have strength. And then it says this in verse twenty-two: "The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old." It's an attribute of God. Wisdom is twenty-three. I've been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. So, looking to God, we can find wisdom, and that's what we—that's the first thing we need. Digging, like we heard about in the Sunday school lesson this morning, getting our our. Sustenance from the vine, digging deep, rooting down into the into the uh, good soil of, of god's word that's that's wisdom, having devotions, having a vibrant relationship with God. when we're faced with hard and hurtful and, and I should add even easy and lovely things in life. We need to seek wisdom before we make a response. Uh, James, I mean, Mark 7.15 says, there's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Our response is what counts and defines us. It's not what comes in us. What people may throw away or may accuse of us isn't what defines us. What defines us is ultimately what comes out. It's our response that will characterize us. Seek wisdom. And it's accompanying prudence, knowledge, and discretion. In wisdom, there's an understanding, a godly understanding and strength. In wisdom, there's not pride, arrogance, and the evil way. It's pure. It has mercy, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality or hypocrisy. When the tongue speaks out of the depths of pure wisdom, there will not be cursing. There will not be acidic waters. When the tongue speaks out of the depths of pure wisdom, there will not be a conflicting message. When the tongue speaks out of the depths of pure wisdom, there will be righteousness. There will be godliness. I'd like to contrast the fragrance of Christ to the smell of death. In 2 Corinthians 2.14 it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul is drawing here the imagery from the imagery of the official, the uh, commander in the Roman emperor who, who comes through after victory's won. And he's, he's coming through the town in triumph. And uh, when they did that, they would throw out these, the, the, they would put out this incense and also throw out roses ahead of them. And these would get crushed by the horses' feet, by the feet of the people. And it would, it, it would uh, create an aroma that would, would fill the, the city. And Paul is, is uh, making an example there as to what we are thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place you know we 're not so apt to curse or to be upset when things are going our way uh, but it's rather when we 're crushed when we're pressed is when our when we would be apt to curse or to to um be upset. But Paul's saying here that actually the Christian, when he's crushed, when he's pressed, um, out of him will come the pure fragrance of Christ. Unlike the smell that that comes from a, a nasty wound. And that's what the tongue does. It gives out of the heart And when the heart is right, it gives out a a pure fragrance. The tongue can be a tremendous force for good. Thanks be to God for that. Bridled horses are very useful. They carry burdens. Ships are able to navigate large bodies of water and safely come into port with a large uh, load because of a very little rudder doing its job. Very useful fires can be started with a small match or a coal. And I'd like to focus on on the positive things the tongue can do now in the last part here. Romans 10 verse 8 says this, This word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess it with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Again, there's no more effective means to reach the sinner for Christ than a sincere heart testimony of another sinner that's been saved by grace through faith and is living the Christ-like life. And it also has to do with our salvation. Confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe that's so important. In church, to our family, to our neighbor, wherever it is, it's a means of of, um, verbalizing our heart and bringing glory to God. And it strengthens us when we do that. When we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Romans 10.14 how, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Expounding. You don't need to be a preacher. You don't need to be an ordained person to preach the gospel of peace. To bring glad tidings to other people, the tongue can do that, and it should be doing that. Acts seventeen six. This was the complaint of those of uh, I forget the, the people that the, the people of that city, but this was their complaint there in Acts. They against uh, the godly men, against Paul. He says, "These are they who have turned the world upside down. they've come here too. These people are turning the world upside down, and I believe that the, and I know that the persuasive words spoken by those loving Christ, loving Christ in our lives has the potential of defeating the devil's schemes and turning that world upside down and bringing about the kingdom of God in people's hearts and lives. It not only turns the world upside down, but it brings to life a new world. It shows people Christ. Ephesians 5.19 Another great way to use our tongue. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You now What a wonderful way to worship. Encouraging each other and glorifying God with our tongues. Verbalizing our experience. And not just that, but verbalizing our desire to know God better and to worship Him and to glorify Him. To the leaders, Paul had this sobering message of responsibility. Using the tongue again. Preach the word. Be ready in season season and out of season. Convict. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And to the suffering and cheerful the sick or the trespassing, James has the following encouragement. Is anyone sick among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Again using the tongue. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if, it, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. How would we do that without our tongue? Of course, we can email one another. And I'm not saying that the tongue is this superior mode of communication. But I will say this. I, I believe that God intended us to relate to each other in person. And to be able to see each other and to experience each other in a local body. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, using our tongue. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. And then one last scripture here. And this is something we're all in need of. Isaiah speaking and giving his testimony in Isaiah 6, five. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And our humble response should be as Isaiah's was. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said this after his lips had been purged, his sin taken away. And, you know, I don't know exactly where you're at this morning. To tell you the truth, I don't know exactly where I'm at this morning. I know the Lord continues to convict me of, of uh, in areas of my life, sometimes it has to do with the tongue. But if we have Isaiah's ongoing ongoing attitude of woe is me, I'll do what you say, Lord. I'm open here to have your coals touch my lips. Then I believe that we can be useful and we can be effective and we can be a blessing um, in the kingdom of Christ and we can bear forth fruit. God bless you all.